This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we speak with Rose Keith, employment lawyer about employment law. Frankie Chenna of FDT Academy talks to us about his Canada-wide debate contest for your grade 4 to 12 kids. And Dr. Gertie Parhar joins me to answer your COVID questions. Trouble sleeping? A sex toy might help. But also, Pat Byrne provides sleep solutions for shift workers. And now, for the podcast. So, hey Rose, you're still on the line there? I am. All right, I got a text from somebody about what happens if the landlord doesn't want to reduce the rent, which which we kind of discussed a little bit. You know, they're not going to likely get paid, but I think this person means what happens to the person who can't pay the rent but is still continuing to be in business. Right. So I think then the normal rules would apply. And, um, you know, the difficulty, and we've talked about this before, it's we all have to kind of work together in this. And the reality is people are not making money. And I, I don't know why a landlord wouldn't agree to it, given that there's a forgivable loan that they can get. But, you know, then the normal rules will apply. And you have a contract. And if you breach the contract, then the landlord can exercise their remedies. Although in a situation like this, I don't know how they exercise their remedies. I have another text message. Speaking of landlords, um, what if you Mm -hmm. are a landlord and you rent your legal basement suite to somebody who cannot afford to pay? If you have filed your taxes and um, documented it as income um, and they can no longer pay, would I qualify is the question. Well, this program is for corporate entities. It's for small businesses. Okay. This program is not for that. Um, there are a number of programs directed towards personal residences. And one of them is that there's this rental amount that the BC government will pay, if, if we're talking about BC. Um, and you have to work with your tenant towards that. But th- that's different than the corporate thing that we're talking about. Okay, so there is some relief for people who may uh, rent out either, you know, I I, uh, know somebody who had a house next door to their regular house, um, and they were airbnb being that and making a ton of money, (laughs) and then it's gone to zero. Um, And also a lot of people who can only afford their home, because homes are so expensive today, because they had a basement suite in it, and now that person may not be working. So there is some relief for those people? There is. I think it's $500 a month from the BC government. Um, And then I would also suggest working with the tenant because they probably, if they're not working, they're entitled to the CERB or something else. And you can probably work out something that makes sense for both of you. Probably is not the full rent that you're used to getting, um, but the alternative is they're not paying any rent and you can't evict them right now. That's right. And and the other thing is, even people who have lost a certain percentage of their income, um, you know, there's other expenses that they're not having. Okay, once they fill their shelves with toilet paper, and that's cost a fair mm-hmm. bit for them. Right. Um, right. You know, and Lysol wipes. <laughs> and Lysol wipes, exactly. 
Um, is there anything, a hair dye, uh, anything yeah. else there that's uh, very popular? Um, you know, other, I, I've certainly noticed it used to cost me $93 to fill up my car and it cost right. me $55 the other day, which is right. a significant reduction. Um, so I was paying probably $400 a month in gas and now I'm paying about um, two hundred dollars a month, right. and I don't need to drive nearly. I'm probably paying a bit less than that because I'm doing a lot You're more work. More than most remotely. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I drive a lot, um, but it's it's much less than it is, and it's probably lasting me six weeks. That that tank, you know, I'm right. over a half a tank, and I think I filled that up last week. So not bad, not right. great, not great. But anyway, yeah. Um, so we're having. We are having less expenses. You know, we're not going yeah. out to eat as much if we're being mindful yeah. of takeout Wednesdays. So our expenses are down. We can give people in our lives a break is my point. Right. And that's really what I've been counseling clients kind of across the board is have the conversations and find a way to make it work. Because, you know, the alternative, like you can't kick someone out because they're not paying their rent right now. And you know, when you can kick them out, you're going to chase them for it. You're never going to get it anyway. That's and, right. Or you might, but it's, you know, like this is a really unusual circumstance. So have the conversations, find a way to make sure you can pay your mortgage and they can still live. Absolutely. You make a great point. Somebody um, texted me and said there is $500 rent relief for the tenant and the landlord gets the 500 from BC Housing and the tenant pays 500 less. A good little summary, right. I guess. Right. Yes. Yeah. So where can um, people get more information about this, Rose, about workplace legal issues? You know, so we have a great blog on our website where we put up something. Whenever anything new is coming out, we're putting up an article about it or a blog about it. And um, there's a myriad of information out there. But if you go to harpergray.com, and COVID-19 resources. There's people blogging about the rent stuff. There's people blogging about the workplace stuff. There's a ton of information there. It is. It's, it's excellent. And I've been there. Thank you so much, Rose Keith. I really appreciate your time. I do happen to have a healthcare background, um, and so I feel like I get to talk about this stuff. But, uh, you know, some people who don't have healthcare backgrounds feel that they get to talk about this stuff, too. They happen to be bleached presidents. Um, and so, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about um, President Trump, um, his comments about ultraviolet light as well as, um, you know, perhaps um, suggesting to Dr. Burks that um, the doctors look into uh, injecting disinfectant into the lungs because, you know, it was realized that that uh, using bleach on a surface would actually rid the surface of that virus within a minute. So he decided to think, well, that would be a good idea. Why don't we inject people's uh, lungs with this? And that's actually incompatible with life. Um, that's why people, uh, when they drown, you know, they're uh, uh, aspirating water, which is incompatible with um, the lung, the fluids that are in the lungs, which is more normal saline. Anyway, 0.9%. And so that's why there's an incompatibility there. But having a little bit of understanding about that may have helped him. 
um, somewhat. But, you know, sometimes, as I said, I feel like he's got alphabet soup in his head and it's just like whatever words come out, depending on what letters he mixes together, that's kind of how he decides to talk to people. But this can be incredibly dangerous because many people will believe him. He is the president of the United States and he is an influencer. And, and apparently the state of Maryland had hundreds of calls around um, asking if this was okay to do. And, and you can rest assured in the coming weeks, there will be somebody who tried to do this in one way or another because of lack of understanding and because the president said so. And so when people make suggestions like this and they're out of their lane, quite frankly, I mean, he's in the presidential lane. Like, it's not a bad lane to be in. Stay in your lane. Uh, that's why I have such issue with influencers on Instagram, uh, for example, who are promoting health products or health suggestions or ideas. You know, they'll say this will boost your immune system overnight and and, you know, nothing will do that. So um, so there's lots of uh, issues around this. And, and that's why people go to school, medical school, and they go to nursing school and respiratory therapy school and, and physiotherapy school, pharmacy school. So there's lots of, of reasons for that to become educated and also to uh, continue uh, with, um, you know, we have to do continuous education units uh, annually to keep up with everything that is that is changing. And and. All of our suggestions are based on, uh, and treatment recommendations are based on the evidence. So they're based on the literature. So I don't think any time we'll be doing a disinfectant into the lungs injectable way <laughs> anytime soon. That won't be happening. But, you know, the reason, another reason is that it's dangerous is because some people just don't get it, okay? Uh, so recently, well, not recently, for the entire time, um, I've been locked down. What I tend to do daily is to get out in nature and there is this particular trail that I may walk on or jog on or ride my bike on. And so, you know, I, I did start to notice that people were, you know, four, seven abreast across the trail and and they weren't being considerate, you know, moving aside. So the, the municipality put up some signs and they say, keep to the right, single file only. And you'd think that was clear. And they repeated those signs all the way, you know, well into the trail. So beyond the point, uh, any point of entrance, so that everybody would understand it. And so, of course, still, it takes a little while for people to change. I get that, to change bad habits. But, um, you know, the, the signs have been up for a little while now, at least a week, maybe a little bit longer than that. And, um, you know, there are still people who are walking for abreast or taking up the entire trail and it's making difficult making it difficult for people to pass. And so but but I was really struck by this one what appeared to be a family walking together and on one side of this trail there are houses up above this little bit of a mountainous area. And um so up above this little bit of a hill there's a house and so there was a woman on her deck and she was trying to explain to the family who was walking across taking up the entire trail and the trail is probably I'm going to say 15 feet wide. So, and and I don't know how to measure anything, to be honest with you, for visuals. So, <laughs> it was on the 95-yard line. No idea. Um, so she was explaining to them, taking it, you know, upon herself to protect others who are walking. And she was saying, there are signs and they're asking you to be single file and to be on the right-hand side of the trail as you're walking. And the family 
took to arguing with her. And so they're all arguing. They obviously didn't understand the signs. And then they're arguing. And then we come along on our bikes. And, they, and they, I heard them say, well, if somebody comes by, we'll just move over. But, you know, in their arguing with this woman, they never moved over. And so, it, you know, it's, it's a very brief time um, that we're riding by on that particular time. But there's other people, other families who are walking by, who are, but it's like, you know, people are being obstinate. People are um, not understanding, you know, not everybody has that level that says, I'm going to do, you know, what is expected of me, Uh, staying to the right, single file. No, they don't want to live above the law. But I also want to talk to you a little bit about issues on the front lines. And so I, I manage a group that is on the front lines, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've had extreme difficulty getting PPE, but I have managed to get it. But let me tell you, it's practically been a full-time job. And there was a time where I had to ask the nurses, a very brief period, about a week, where I had to, to dole out masks to them, because masks had also been stolen. I had to dole out masks to them, and you know there was a risk that they were going to have to use those masks repeatedly and that is not good infection control and that is not what a disposable mask is meant for it's meant as a one-time use only so um but now i've got plenty of masks for my group and i'm very happy about that it's a big relief because it's a big responsibility um so i did speak to another nurse i'm in touch with lots of nurses on the front lines and i just wanted to share with you some of the issues um that that occur so last night a nurse told me she had a horrific night Um, And many of my nurses work elsewhere because this particular one isn't a place where people would have a full-time job necessarily for other reasons. But so they work elsewhere. And this particular night, uh, last night, this RN told me that she had just had such a horrible night. There were so many COVID patients on her ward. In fact, her entire ward is COVID patients. And the census is about 42. And so it was full up. The patients, there were so many that had diarrhea, so many changes that needed to happen, so many uh, changes and cleaning up of the patients, so many turns, so many bed changes. Uh, there was not enough personal protective equipment on that ward. There were so many people who were required nebulizers. There were so many people who were running into trouble with breathing issues. Uh, there's another, uh, another nurse told me about where she's working that six RNs tested positive. One of them was sobbing when she told her and she said, I have a family. I have little kids. My parents live with me. I don't know where I'm going to go. I am so worried, so scared because of course, I don't know if you've heard, but Ryan Jesperson did an interview with a nurse from Vancouver who had, um, Ryan Jesperson, uh, is on our sister station in Edmonton and he did an interview with a nurse who had ended up on a ventilator. Um, and so of course, nurses who test positive, they, they understand the course of this, of this illness of COVID-19, which is rapidly changing all the time. The list of symptoms that is put out by the CDC is changing practically daily. And so to hear about somebody crying and sobbing and being so upset. Now, some of those nurses as well were symptomatic. So they had mild disease as we know, because women have two X chromosomes, the men are actually affected more. So they they are getting sicker and they're getting sicker sooner than women are. And that's around the globe. Um, 
In the case where the six RNs were tested, I was told that the management is, get this, the management is blaming the RNs. So they now have a police RN on the ward to watch them to make sure that they were taking off, donning and doffing their PPE. So putting on and taking off their PPE appropriately because they are saying to the RNs, this is your fault that you all, that there is also a number of close to double digit number of patients who have tested positive for COVID-19 as well. And so they've actually been moved off of that um, ward because they're trying to cohort all of the COVID patients together. And so this is so dangerous because it tells me that the management obviously does not have a medical background either, because if they did, they would understand that uh, the number one group that is at risk, uh, in addition to uh, seniors living in facilities, is healthcare providers, those who are on the front lines, and those are the nurses um, that are at the front line. And those nurses are at great risk of contracting COVID. They are risking not only their health, but the health of their families, their friends, the person in the grocery store. Um, and so these nurses have another story, and they actually talked to me about how inappropriate patients were placed on their ward. So patients who were had, had fevers, who were coughing, who required nebulizers, or which aerosolizes the respiratory droplet, and so it spreads it throughout the air. They actually said to the supervisors at that hospital, this patient doesn't belong in a four-bed ward here. And, and that particular patient did end up testing positive for COVID-19. There's not enough PPE on that ward either. And I imagine this is a common occurrence across many wards across this country. Um, also, um, there was another issue where the um, there are infection control practices that are put into place in hospitals. And the other one is covering the linen carts. Okay, And so on this particular ward, the linen carts weren't covered. And why is that a problem? Because somebody walks by with, who is COVID positive and you can be have no symptoms and actually transmit this disease. But you can just have a, a benign cough and you can cough onto the towels or the sheets, and then your bed can be made by a nurse who's trying to care for you and trying to help you. And you may actually, if you touch your hand to that sheet and to your face, you are at risk of getting COVID-19 because this is a very highly contagious uh, virus. Uh, Essential workers, nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians have been left to their own defenses in many cases and are at greater risk when they don't have proper infection control practices in place. And we're actually going to need this. We're talking about loosening the restrictions and sending people back to work. And those of you who are concerned about the economy, and I am just as equally as you are, but if you go back to work without infection control policies and practices and procedures in place, you are going to be at great risk of having COVID-19 enter your workplace as well. We developed at, uh, I have a number of work sites that I oversee. We developed um, COVID policies and procedures weeks ago. Weeks ago, they are stringent, they are strict, they are comprehensive, and knock on wood, dare I say, we do not have one case. And I don't even want to say that. But I, I want to say that the policies and procedures are effective. Another RN asked me how long she should re- reuse her N95 mask. She had been reusing it for three weeks. N95 masks are masks that are to be used only by healthcare providers, and they are one-time use. And that should be very strict. So after three weeks, she was washing it, bleaching it, hanging it to dry. It's not nearly as effective as it should be. Anyway, these are just some of the realities of what's going on. If you have some issues in your workplace or 
are concerned about getting back to work and understanding what this is all about, feel free to email me. I'm happy to share my information. Nurse Talk at Hotmail.com. He is Frankie Chenna, and uh, he is of uh, FDT Canadian, Fostering Debate Talent, uh, Canadian Public Speaking Contest. Hey, Frankie. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show and telling me about this contest for your grade four to grade 12. I was going to apply actually when I first saw it, but I graduated (laughs) two years ago. Um, So Frankie, um, how is COVID-19 affecting your business, the FDT Academy? And um, is that why you came up with this idea? Yeah, you know, like the hot word in the business community right now is pivot. Um, pivot means to react to, to COVID and to quarantine in a, in a fast and efficient way. And I'm so thankful that my company was able to go from a, an in-person business to an online one. I know that's not the same for Canadians. Um, and because of that, because we're so fortunate, we wanted to give back in a variety of ways. And you're giving back in a big way, which is another reason I wanted to enter the contest. There's over $10,000 in cash prizes, and this is open to grades 4 to 12 online. So tell me about this contest. Yeah, so we're, we're looking for uh, public speakers from grades 4 to 12. Um, it's a contest to enter nationwide. So um, really, all you have to do is be a, as a, be a student in grades 4 to 12. And we are asking students to uh, deliver a speech on one of two topics. For grade 4 to 7, it's the heroes of COVID-19. And for grade 8 to 12, it's the world after quarantine. Fantastic. And have you have you launched this contest already? Or is it as heard here on the Sunday Night Health Show? <laughs> have we, you got we, any contestants yet is my question. We've just launched um, and applications are in early May. Um, so basically, uh, we, you know, we, we hope and we assume that Canadians all over the country right now are, are preparing their speeches. Uh, to be submitted to us, and then we're going to pick the best ones to compete live on Zoom. Oh, nice. Now, you want um, people to, or the kids, and no parents get to do this, right? They don't get to write it or anything. This is strictly for your children to do, you overachiever yes. parents out there, you <laughs> you helicopter parents, you snowplow parents. Um, you uh, want them to submit their, vi- you want me to submit my video by April 30th, and tell me the email address. Yeah, it's uh, fdtspeech at gmail.com, and uh, the website is fdtacademy.com slash public speaking contest. And now how long should the video be? Are there some rules and regulations for this um, yeah, contest? Yeah, so everything, yeah, all of the guidelines are online. Um, we are looking for three to five minute speeches uh, to be recorded in your home um, and basically sent to that email address. So three to five minutes in length? Yes. Okay, perfect. And so do you have to have um, experience in debating or public speaking or are you encouraging some newbies or some hidden talent out there to emerge? Well, you know, we are encouraging new talent. It is free. So, I mean, that is, there's no barrier from the cost perspective. Also, giving um, every student that enters, we're giving them feedback from an FTT instructor. So, whether you're a beginner or you're experienced, you're going to get some hopefully valuable, uh, valuable critique sorry, from um, someone who does this, you know, every single day as an FTT teacher. So, we really wanted to, to hit COVID and hit quarantine from all angles something to do when you're bored, a way to enrich young people, a uh, scholarship for, you know, for the winners. We just wanted to, to make COVID as, as pos- positive as possible. Right. Um, now, um, what was my other question about it? Um, 
it's so it's a three to five minute speech. Yes. And um, oh, now I can't remember what I was going to say. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's three to five minutes. And um, oh, yeah. Tell me about the prizes. Like, how yeah, are you divvying so, up those prizes? Yeah. So what's going to happen is we're going to narrow the field down to the finalists and they're going to present on Zoom. Uh, the top grade eight, the top grade eight to twelve is going to receive three thousand dollars cash, and the top grade four to seven is going to receive two thousand um, dollars. So there's a lot of money to be won, over ten thousand dollars in cash scholarships for the winners, and we are donating to food banks Canada for every submission that we receive. Oh, that's awesome! And so, do they get the cash, or do they? Is it when you say it's a scholarship? What do you mean by that? I mean, it, we're probably going to end up sending it to the parents. I would hope that, you know, students and families would sit wisely. But it is it is cash, you know, a check written, written to the family among um, winners. So, um, yeah, it's really up to them how they want to use it. Yeah, that's nice. That's fantastic. Well, Frankie Chenna, you never cease to amaze me. I think you oh, were on thanks. my show eight years ago when I first started. And... He is Dr. Gurdeep Parhar, and he's here to take your questions. Good evening, Dr. Parhar. Good evening, Maureen. I was just thinking, one of these weeks, I'm going to say we've learned everything about COVID-19, and there's nothing new to learn, but it seems like every week something new comes up. Every single week. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you so much for joining me every single week on the program to discuss these issues. Issues, these new issues that seem to occur, um, that are they're they're strange. Some of them, they are bizarre. We initially thought that it was a lung uh, condition, um, but we're rapidly learning that that's not all it is. So, if you have any questions out there for the doctor, the doctor is in, Doctor Gurdeep Parhar. The number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. That's one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight. 98, or you can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I will forward it on to the fine doctor. All right, Dr. Parhar, <laughs> let's talk about the, um, there, there, there have been millions of people diagnosed with COVID-19 around the world. Thousands of people have lost their lives, but a very small percentage of people, because I don't want to frighten people out there, um, but I, I do believe in educating people so that they are fully aware Um some people are experiencing or physicians are actually noticing that some people are experiencing blood clots that are leading to strokes. Um, can you help us make sense of that? So, so absolutely, Marion. We know that strokes are typically um, uh, found in people that are older, 60 years and older, especially what we call the big blood vessel type of clots. Now, what's really strange, and there's been a cluster of uh, cases in New York and in China where patients that are 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old are getting um, strokes that you would otherwise expect in older people. So this is scary for a couple of reasons. One is that younger people just don't think they're having the stroke, so they might ignore their symptoms. And the second is people that are young want to stay away from emergency rooms, thinking that there's too much COVID-19 going on there and they would expose themselves to infection. So unfortunately, with the New York cases, what happened was people, young people presented very, very late, um, and they had had full-blown strokes. Now, what's actually causing the stroke is um, everybody's still pondering. <clears throat> it's thought that possibly the, the virus is causing what we call a hypercoagulable state or something that makes your blood clot more quickly, as you said, your nurse colleagues are finding. Um, it's hard to know what the exact cause is, and it might be your body overreacting to the virus that's causing these clots to happen. But I think the main takeaway is, regardless <clears throat> of your age, remember the acronym FAST, right? So FAST. Mm-hmm. Um, arm, 
speech and time. So regardless of your age, if you're noticing a change in your facial expression or, or loved ones, your speech has changed, um, you, you know, um, that you're having changes in your arm functioning, you know, to get to the emergency room because there are things that can be done regardless of what the cause of the stroke is. You know, I saw on Facebook somebody had posted that her a high school friend had been uh, complaining of COVID symptoms, so the typical COVID symptoms, and then next she heard was that that uh, person had died of a stroke um, after having a stroke. So thank you for mentioning the fast, uh, F for face drooping, A for arm weakness, S for speech difficulty, and T for time to call 911. And, you know, I always say it's best to err on the side of caution. Um, Go to the emergency department. There are infection policies and procedures in place uh, that are that the healthcare workers have been trained in understand very well um, and so uh, you know it could be a safer place there than the grocery store for example uh, absolutely and with the COVID-19 we were already noticing patients that had seizures and some with confusion in fact one of my patients spent five days in the hospital after COVID-19 positive diagnosis and he says his main symptom was some fever but really just confusion he was confused so we know that there are some neurological symptoms like confusion like seizures but now we also need to be thinking about strokes and some patients have reported memory loss especially those who have been on ventilators i don't know if you had heard that at all I've heard that as well, and sometimes it ties together with the confusion, but some memory loss. So what we're finding is that this virus is actually affecting the brain. Sometimes that's causing fever because that's where your temperature control is in that part of the body, but but also some of these um, neurological symptoms. Right. And, you know, some other people, we're, we're starting to hear more and more stories from those people who have recovered, and they describe, you know, just a harrowing situation, a, just a horrific illness where they're getting rigors or sort of repeated chills. If you've ever had rigors, I've had it once. It's like the worst thing ever. It's uncontrollable. Um uh, you know, it's there are so many symptoms, and one thing is that there one one woman who um, you know really made an impression on me, where she talked about the importance of staying home, the importance of social distancing or physical distancing, and washing your hands, and just being very mindful of other people as well, because she has recovered from COVID nineteen. Now we don't know if people have antibodies to this or not, which is going to affect the creation of a vaccine. So that's another issue. But she said that you know she is now at risk for. A secondary infection. She's still having shortness of breath. She's still compromised in her lungs. Uh, She still doesn't feel great. And it's been about six weeks later. So are are you seeing that in the patients that they're still having persistent issues long after they have been, um, you know, found long after they have recovered from COVID-19? Yes, and, that, and that's a really good point, Maureen, is that what we're saying is that when to, to, um, the definition of recovery is 10 days of no fever and only a mild cough. But what, what you're asking is really the pertinent point is what are the long-term problems with this? And what we're thinking is that there are some patients are left with um, difficulties in their lungs, or if you want to call it in simple terms, some lung scarring um, and, and possibly difficulty into the future. It's just too early to know. Right now, we're only three or four months into this, and, and what will be the long-term? Um, sort of consequences are still to be understood. Marine, the other big development this week was that um, you and I have been talking a lot about how we need to increase testing. And and so one of the big big developments in BC is that the Chief Health Officer has really widened the pool that's allowed to be tested. Before we'd said people with mild symptoms should just stay at home and treat it as if it was a flu and just do symptomatic treatment. But now it's really wide open. So if you even have mild symptoms, and you were mentioning rigors and chills, 
that might be enough for your uh, family physician, your nurse practitioner, um, or your healthcare provider to send you for a test, whereas we weren't doing that before. So if you're sort of in doubt, I think it's important to talk to your healthcare provider and, and um, you know, encourage the, a test to be done. And so I'm sure a lot of people, and I've certainly experienced this myself, you think something's awry with you <laughs> for a few minutes and you think, oh my gosh, mm. is that a symptom? Only once and only for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like daily. It's like hourly. <laughs> could that be? Could that twinge? Uh, could that be COVID-19? Um, so, you know, denial is a drug, especially in healthcare. And I was thinking about this early on. I was talking uh, to a colleague of mine about a, how he should pull all of his money out of the stock market, but that was another story. But B, I said, there's a stigma associated with this. And he said, no, there isn't. He's a physician. I said, yeah, there would be a stigma, um, you know, because of its transmissibility, because of its contagion factor. And then then it got me to thinking that, you know, somebody might, like, they don't want to find out if they have cancer, if they have a lump or something, they don't want to have it tested. People are afraid. They might be afraid to go and get a COVID test in part because they don't want to have it. And so that often keeps people away. Um, but my question more is around if people have symptoms and they might dismiss them and think, oh, that's not what it is versus me <laughs> repeatedly getting, no, I'm not getting tests. Um, but you know, where I think, oh, every twinge I think is that, could that be COVID where some people might be quite sick and, and ignore that. Yeah, there's a fine balance between um, being in denial and possibly getting sicker, or as we all know, being mildly symptomatic and passing it on to others. Um, So even if you're not looking after or caring about yourself as much as you should be, think about how much you could cause harm for people that are around you. Um, So there's that element about being in denial. And then we don't want want people to become absolutely hypochondriac around this either, which is, you know, every little muscle ache is this. And we can't have heightened anxiety. And um, Maureen, you and I talked about you know, people's mental wellness as well around this as we can't have people go into anxiety states. So there's got to be some balance there. And, and I would suggest, um, you know, what the kind of thing myself as a physician I'm concerned about are symptoms that persist, fevers that we can't explain, somebody with a cough that otherwise wasn't there, um, you know, the loss of smell that you and I have talked about before, um, the, the nasal congestion, um, you know, those types of things, um, the chills and rigors that you spoke about. And yes, it's an uncomfortable test. Um, yes, in the test isn't perfect, but it's sort of the best we have right now. And and I think, you know, more information is always useful. What you do with the information then is sort of at your choice. Speaking of retail businesses, <laughs> there's one that's still doing okay. And I have to say that I've noticed it on my website as well. There's only one, um, right now, there's only one um, personal massager that I sell is uh, on my website just because it's amazing. <laughs> it's the Womanizer and it is one of the top sellers of uh, sex toys across the country where sex toy companies have noticed uh, from 130 to 145% increase in sales. Typically after Valentine's Day, you, there's a drop in sales because most people have bought all of their presents, but uh, this COVID-19 time, uh, a time of self-love because um, self-love is a many splendid thing. Uh, it is the safest sex. Uh, many people are finding themselves there on their own. They're alone. Even if they have a, a partner, they may have been stuck in another area or they may be in isolation or quarantined or whatever. And so many, many people are, are buying more, um, 
sex toys and sex aids uh, because they are looking to enhance their pleasure. It's been tough. Let's be real here. This pandemic has been incredibly difficult on a lot of people. Um, and so there's, uh, I saw some interesting information that it said the sex toy companies who are tracking all of this, um, they can actually see when shutdown occurred in different areas because it was um, coincidental with the rise in uh, the sex toys. So um, many people thought that because people are in their homes and it may be time for more exploration, have a little bit more fun, that the kinky stuff would sell. But uh, not quite yet, Canada. <laughs> you're not there yet. Um, and maybe you're just a little bit too stressed out right now and your mind can't go there, but maybe it will a little bit later. Um, and so you're buying more sex toys. And, and what's wrong with that? Um, this is a great thing because I, I actually was... Um, walking the other day and and somebody walked by me to be <laughs> she walked by hand in hand with somebody and and I did notice um to be totally honest with you I hope she's not listening but I heard him talking and I thought oh that woman is she like listening to this story like hope she's interested in in him anyhow um and so then I sat down on a bench on the beach and she walked by and she said hi Maureen And I realized, oh, it was a former patient or client, should I say. And she said, I said, oh, I'm so surprised you recognized me. I had a bike helmet on, sunglasses. And she said, oh, I'd never forget you. You changed my life. And and it was a woman who had been leaving her uh, abusive relationship, dare I say, um, emotionally abusive relationship, and looking to get her mojo back. And she wanted to meet somebody else. And I thought, oh, that was so great. It was I didn't recognize her when I first saw her, but... Yeah, she was interested in that guy's conversation about whatever he was talking about. <laughs> Can't remember right now. Um, but I remember telling her that uh, after an hour and a half consult and reviewing the relationship and, and how she actually had never even been attracted to her husband and she ended up marrying him, um, but because she thought he would be make a good husband. And that's, that happens a lot, quite frankly. People get married for many reasons other than they're sexually attracted to them or there's chemistry, uh, might men and women and they, whomever, lots of different reasons and not, not necessarily always associated with passion. And so I remember saying to her after an hour and a half, um, that, um, she asked me if I helped get, help couples get back together. I said, certainly I did, but I just was curious why she would, um, want that with all due respect. Why would she want to get back with this? I mean, the guy just sounded dreadful. And, um, I said, because you, I said, and you weren't even attracted to him in the first place. And because after all sex is for you too. And she said that that was the most profound thing that I had said in the hour and a half. I thought I said a few other profound things, but no, that was the one. And a lot of women don't realize that. And, you know, this is a time, if you are not with somebody right now, this is a time for self-pleasure, self-care, taking some afternoon delight. You know, the Womanizer is a clitoral stimulation device, works every time. It's amazing. It'll put a smile on your face. um, And it certainly will bring back the pleasure. But next week, I actually have some um, gifts to give out um, to the listeners. So hopefully you'll tune in next week. I couldn't really get it all together this week. I was busy with other things. (laughs) I was busy with my own personal massage. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) 
<laughs> Brendan's laughing. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> that song's all night long, isn't it? <laughs> day, night, one thing is leading into the other. Like, I was like, have a great week. Who even knows it's a weekend? Like, I don't know. You hear somebody said, have a relaxing weekend. I'm like, we've been relaxing every single day. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Anyway, so I just want to say that if you've never tried a sex toy, now's the time. <laughs> Uh, what else have you got to do? Clean? I mean, I filmed an ant this morning that had a crumb in its <laughs> mouth, I guess, bigger than it. It's on Instagram. <laughs> it's had so many views. <laughs> and it, my tag was the power of one. Like, I was amazed. The reason I filmed it is because I have this ongoing thing with my sister-in-law about eating in bedrooms. <laughs> Unless it's chocolate-covered strawberries. No, nobody, no kids eat in bedrooms because ants and mice come. And they actually make those like those little holes like they do on TV and cartoons. Anyway, been there. So I filmed it really for her, <laughs> but I put it on Instagram. And um, But the power of one. So everybody be careful uh, because you have the capacity to actually infect somebody. That's about COVID-19. Infect 59,000 people. But anyway, back to the sex toys, which is so much more fun. Um, you know, consider it. Think about it. If your sex life has been boring, uh, a little dull, and, you know, again, we're we're home with the same person. We're, we used to be able to go out and then come back, go to work, come back. And so there was a little bit of intrigue and mystique and, and this kind of thing, but you know, we're there the whole time together. So that has a tendency to, you know, make boredom, um, be like it's on steroids. So, uh, you might want to bring sex toys into your relationship and you can order them and then why they come in in discreet packages. So your neighbors, they're stuck in their homes anyway. <laughs> they're not going to see what the mailman is delivering. You can wipe it down, bring it in, turn it on and boom. Anyway, the neighbors will be wondering why you're smiling and they're not. Uh, but next week, so I hope you tune in because I do have some prizes that I'm going to give away around this time and around this segment. Uh, he was an early pioneer in the study of how sleep affects athletic performance, having worked with athletes from all the professional North American and Australian sports leagues, including seven seasons with the Vancouver Canucks. He has now branched out to provide fatigue management programs and training to first responders and shift workers. He's also co-authored a book with his daughter, who's a lawyer, which will be released this summer called Inconvenient Sleep, Why Teams Win and Lose. The book provides a pathway forward for athletes and teams to improve their sleep and performance while at the same time exposing fraud and pseudoscience in the sleep industry. Joining me on the line is Pat Byrne. Good evening, Pat. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Just great. It's a bit difficult following the uh, the sex toy thing. but <laughs> It is. That was my sleep tip. <laughs> That's it. It ends there. <laughs> I know there's other things out there to do, but... <laughs> That's all you need. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Okay, that's not going to work for everybody. I realize that. <laughs> I guess that is the, the case. But um, last week, I apologize. We, we cut you short. <laughs> so that's why I brought you back this week, because sleep is such a critical issue, especially for people who are on the front lines and who are, are stressed out. Um, anyway, so what are some of the issues that shift workers might have, especially in a time of COVID-19? Yeah, well, even in normal times, shift workers, and and if we deal with particularly the first responders, you know, the, the paramedics and the doctors and the nurses, they work terrible shifts. Uh-huh. Um, and so just the opportunity to get sleep 
is reduced. Um, so what's happened sort of historically is that uh, the way these schedules, these 12-hour and longer work schedules have been done, you know, working 12-hour days, 12-hour nights, was developed way before the science said that's a bad idea. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> well, I mean, sleep's a pretty new, uh, a new science. And so a lot of these things are entrenched, and so they create some pretty serious problems for people. And um, healthcare workers um, and other first responders have, um, I think, a great deal of not only sleep disorders, but they also have problems with um, uh, um, mental health issues um, and uh, uh, personal issues with their, their spouses. I know the work I did in Australia and with some of the researchers there, um, there's huge, a great deal of um, uh, marital breakups and suicides and others just from a lack of sleep. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, sleep is so important. Um, very critical. Now, some of the nurses that I know, they will take sleeping pills in the morning, for example, if they have worked a night shift. <clears throat> they'll take a sleeping pill in the morning because otherwise they're unable to sleep for the whole time. So how, is that beneficial? Um, only in the short term, and probably it's not something we recommend. It, it, part, part of the problem is um, just planning. And so what happens is the schedules get changed. So it's not like you're on night shift all the time. So you're on night shift for a couple of nights at 12 hours, and then all of a sudden you're in day shift. Uh-huh. for a couple of hours. And so what we teach and what we try to um, uh, deal with healthcare workers is um, you need to plan. It's like you're planning a holiday. You need to plan for your sleep. And it's difficult because it involves not just you, but communication with your family. Uh-huh. So that when you need to sleep, they need to be not knocking on your door saying, I need to go to soccer practice. <laughs> All of the, I mean, not so much now with COVID, but, um, it, you know, in normal times, I think, um, planning is such an important part of, of you know, what they do. Um, and also to understand that um, their own what's called chronotype and understand whether they're a morning person or an evening person and when they should nap and when they should um, not nap. You know, you mentioned something like some people have respect for sleep and some people lack respect for sleep. Mm-hmm. So they'll wake people up unwittingly thinking they can just go back to sleep. No big deal. But you mentioned that as an issue in relationships. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and it's about education. It's about understanding sleep education. And quite frankly, because sleep is such a new science, um, it's not taught anywhere. It's not taught in kindergarten. It's not taught in elementary school. It's not taught in high school. It's not taught in university. Right. Even most general practitioners in, in, in their medical schools in, in the Western world have had one to two hours of sleep training in the entire four-year program. Wow. And sleep is critical to a productive life, to a happy life, to a healthy life, to weight gain. It's related to so much. Yeah, absolutely. It, it affects your health. It affects your safety. And, you know, certainly for the athletes I work with, it affects their performance, whether they're on the ice or on the pitch or on the, the football field, whatever they do. It, 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 you know, we sleep, we're supposed to sleep a third of our lives, um, but we often don't. Um, there's a, um, a, a research project done out of uh, Laval a number of years ago where they said that 40%, 40% of Canadians have sleep, sleep disorders. 
Forty percent, did you say? Forty percent. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't surprise me. The problem is most people don't, um, and the medical profession really has difficulty trying to deal with it. And so the way they try to deal with it is that um, they teach them about what's called sleep hygiene. So they say it's your fault. You're not sleeping properly. Right. Right. But they're not getting the support they need. And so what are some of the suggestions for um, shift workers to get better sleep, to improve upon their sleep and feel rested? And I think that's a symptom of, of inadequate sleep if, if you, is if you wake up not feeling rested. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so first of all, plan. So like take a, literally take a calendar out and say, like you do for your holidays, when am I going to travel here? When am I going to vacation here? Same with sleep. When am I going to sleep? When am I going to eat? Like plan it out. And uh, you need to understand what your chronotype is. I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but you need to understand whether you're a morning person or an evening person. But you need to plan your sleep. And if you're a shift worker, particularly if you're working night shift, you need to nap in the afternoon before your night shift. How about going to sleep right after the night shift? Again, that depends on... um, there are two styles because I've, I've done some studies on nurses, you know, a decade ago in, in, at, one, at Richmond Hospital um, where we studied some of their sleep. And what we found was about half of them were sleeping, went, came off night shift and went right to sleep. And the other half stayed up and then slept later in the day. And it really depends on their own biology. So you need to respect your biology and understand when it's appropriate. But also you have to balance that with your, your family responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's not easy. No, it's certainly not easy. And how about making up sleep? If you're missing out on sleep because you've done two 12-hour days and two 12-hour nights, and then you have a few days off and, and you sleep until noon on Saturday, can we make up our sleep on the weekends? It depends how much sleep you've lost. Um, I, I, my recommendation is to make up as much sleep as you can. Um, you, it, it's not a one-for-one trade. I mean, there's some great studies at a Washington State University that show that if, for a, if, if you've only slept five hours for a week, it's going to take you seven days to make that up. I'm, I'm tired thinking about that. Anyway, I love sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, sleep, sleep is great. It, it's wonderful. I mean, the problem is in our society is that we've... Um, we're capable of staying awake when we shouldn't be. Absolutely. That's me. <laughs> I'm a morning person. I'm a night person. <laughs> I just don't want to miss the party person. Um, Pat, where can we're coming up to the end of the show now? Where can we get some more info? Our listeners get some more information about sleep solutions. Um, you know what? I have some really good websites. I mean, uh, we have one, but ours, ours deals with mostly athletes. Mm-hmm. But I go to I go to a Mayo Clinic. I go to Stanford. I go to John Hopkins University School of Medicine. They have really good, credible, um, and American Academy of Sleep Medicine has good good information. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining the program again this week. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, 
TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.